The following podcast is brought to you by the Bridge Bible Church in Somerset, Wisconsin. For more information, please visit our website at thebridgewire.com. here. Um, Diane is going to have the scripture reading for us this morning, and I am truly blessed by this woman. Um, I started my study in Revelation with Diane last February, so we have been in this book for a year. (laughs) You, fortunately, have not had to have that long journey, but honestly, I wish you had, because I've been so blessed. And it is my honor to allow you to have this moment to read the last chapter of Revelation and to bless the Lord's people. So God bless you in the reading of the word. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also... On either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light of a lamp or the sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon, Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still be right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers, the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. 
the spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. You can open them to this last chapter of Revelation. Oh, amen. Pray with me, if you will. Lord Jesus, as we look at this prophetic word that you have given to us by your spirit and written down by our faithful brother, John, we just ask that we would just be in awe that we would worship you from the deep recesses of our soul. You make all things new, and you are coming quickly. We say, come, come, Lord Jesus. But as you tarry, teach us, teach us to walk in your ways. Sanctify us, cleanse us, make us holy, a bride without spot, blemish, wrinkle, or any such thing. May you be glorified in your church as we hear these words. We who read them are blessed, and we who have heard them are blessed. So as we conclude, would you pour out blessing by increasing our faith? May we read these words and believe. It's in Christ I ask this. Amen. So we are in the last chapter of Revelation. In chapter 21, we saw the city. And in chapter 21, as it talked about the pearly gate, it gave us a glimpse inside the city. It started talking about the streets that were made of gold. And those streets of gold are so purified, so perfect that it says they're like glass as well. So it's a, kind of this amazing thing to try to understand as you're looking at, you know, I think about it in, in my mind, and gold is not, you know, transparent. Like, I'm like, how does that even work? Because God is so holy and so pure, and his heavenly city is so perfect that even gold purified in that sense, God makes it like glass. It's just amazing. So we get to see in the city today, and we get to Hear these words from our Lord. So verses 1 through 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, a tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. 
The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him, and they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more, and they will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light." and they will reign forever and ever. And so in these first five verses here, what we see is this angel again who's talking to John. Now remember, this is the angel who had one of the bowls that poured out one of the last judgments. So he comes and he's showing this last scene of heaven to John. He's the one who takes him outside the city, puts him on the mountain. They get to see that. And now he's showing this to John and he comes and and takes him into the city. And the angel is showing him what is there. And we see a river of the water of life. We see the throne of God. We see the tree of life. And it's it's interesting, you know, as we look at the tree of life, because it's on both sides of the river, but it's a tree. It's like, does it, how does it, I don't know, but it's beautiful. We see the tree of life, and we see the servants of God worshiping. So let's start here and just look at the water of life. It says here that there's the water of life flowing. It's crystal clear. It's pure. It's coming out of the throne of God. It's flowing down this transparent gold street. So you have these gold streets and you have this water of life just flowing from the throne of God down the midst of the street. And it's like, what, is, what does that really kind of look like? Just, just trying to imagine that. It's amazing to think of. So he told us in Revelation 21, verse 6, this. He said, and he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. So we saw that in the last chapter. He, he repeats it in this chapter. Christ saying, I have finished all things. It is all finished, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. That God satisfies is what we talked about last week. That he says, come into my presence, my people, and be perfectly satisfied. And we see the water of life pure, and it just satisfies. So that deep satisfaction that each of our souls longs for is there. This water that satisfies perfectly, quenches the deep longings. We have the Lord himself, but yet the, he brings this provision, this satisfaction, this water of eternal life. We see that somehow there's a tree on both sides of it as well. Uh, and some have said that it could be just a translation type issue, that it might just be several trees that line and, and it goes down the river, but I look at it and the way it's written here and the way it's most, um, I guess, should be translated the way it is, is it's this, a, a tree, the tree of life. And I think it's referring to the tree of life that was in the garden. And here it is in the city of God. So I don't think it's multiple trees that go down. I think it's a tree. But here you have this water flowing from the throne and you have a tree on both sides and yet it's in the midst. And it's like, what does that look like? And, and, and 
I don't know, in my mind, you just see this beautiful tree that just spans over with these roots that just go over and go deep and they're able to be in the city and it just spans the river. It just goes both sides. Yeah, I said roots. That's a Midwestern thing. <laughs> it just caught me, sorry. Yeah. Did someone say you're welcome? You, you, changed, my, you changed my accent being here. But... <laughs> So we have this, and this tree is first mentioned in Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. And we see this. It says, And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. And the tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So he had two trees in the garden in the beginning. He had the tree of life, and he had the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And this tree... Is, is there in the end, but the other tree is not. It is not represented in the paradise of God. Just the tree of life is there. So in the garden, when God first created and he put man there, man and woman were with these two trees. But after the fall, uh, God places uh, a cherubim and a fiery sword at the entrance of the garden to keep man from eating from the tree of life. We see that in Genesis 3, verses 22 through 24. It says, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And you would think, well, he's calling us to eternal life. Like, he doesn't want them to have this blessing. Like, it was okay if they ate it from this tree anyway. So why this? It's God's good grace to us. We live in a broken, fallen world. And Adam... After the fall, when mankind fell into sin and death and brokenness, God wanted to redeem, and he did not want us to be eternally in that state. He said, they should not reach out and take this. He had a plan to redeem. So this is God's good grace to keep us from the tree in the beginning. And so... He does not want man to be stuck in a sinful state, in an unredeemable state, living forever separated from him. He makes a way, so he keeps them from reaching out. He made it so death would reign for a little while, and that he, that is Christ, could reconcile us back to right standing with God. So we see the tree in Genesis, and then it's mentioned again in chapter 2, Verse 7 of Revelation. And he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So when you think about Zion, when you think about the heavenly Jerusalem, when you think about this city of God coming down, its other name is the paradise of God. That's what it's called, the paradise of God. And in the midst of the paradise of God is the tree of life, and those who are in God's presence in heaven will be able to partake of its fruit, to eat of it. 
Again, blessing and satisfaction. So, verses 2 and 3, we read this about the tree. It says, Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. So we see this tree, and it says it bears fruit. It bears fruit at different seasons, 12 different fruit, one each month. Now that's interesting, because God is outside of time. He created time. But yet in heaven, time is still marked. There are seasons. And this tree will bear fruit in its season, and it will have beautiful fruit. And every month, a new fruit will come to be ripe and God's people can come and partake and be satisfied. It, it could also make us think of the 12 tribes uh, or the 12 that uh, the apostles that fill out the church. The 12 is a significant number, but what we see here is there is a marking of time even in eternity, which just seems kind of, that's just interesting. I don't know if it's interesting to you. It's interesting to me. It's like, we're going to be for eternity. Who cares, you know, what month it is? Well, Every month, there'll be a new fruit. Hey, let's go. Let's get another piece of that fruit. There's full blessing of God. And that full blessing uh, is in season every season. I mean, isn't that awesome? Like, when I was in college, we used to go to different schools and play. And I always liked going to Clemson because they always had some real snappy sayings and stuff. And when we went to Clemson University to play, they, they had their baseball shirts, you know, and, and the, it said, Clemson baseball, in season, every season. I was like, yeah. Like, if, you, if you're a baseball guy and you're at that level, you eat, breathe, sleep, baseball. You're just like, yeah, in season, every season. There's no off season. It's like, we're training all the time, and then we're playing all the time. And it's like, I just love that. And when I read this, it just kind of brought that back. It's like the blessings of God in season, every season for his people. I just, so blessed. You and I, so blessed to receive from our Lord like this. There's also something I want to point out here. There's an expectation. There's an expectation from God for us today. This is paradise. This is perfection. This is what it should be. God doesn't lower his standards. He doesn't change. When he says, be holy for I am holy, he calls you and I to holiness. He says, I have an expectation for my people, not just to get by, Jesus said, I came to give you life, and so you're going to just be all right. No, he said, I came to give you life, and what? Life abundance, which means there's an expectation for you and me that even in this tent that wears out, he's calling us to be sanctified and transformed and to be holy as he is holy. And you say, well, I, you know, maybe one day. No, no, no. He's made you new in Christ. You're a new creation. You're a new man, new woman. He's changing you now. He's calling you to holiness now. He's calling you to abundant life now. That's the expectation because what's he doing? He's, he's showing you what will be 
we will be glorified on this end day. There's an expectation that we are moving towards this. So he's calling us to be transformed, to bear fruit today. John 15, verse 2 and verse 8. It says this, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. What's he saying? You are to be joined to Christ. Be saved. Be reconciled. Receive the gospel. May he transform you then. Be joined to him. He is the vine. We are the branches. And as we are joined to him, every branch in us that doesn't bear fruit, yeah, we, we still have this tent. We still have uh, the, the ability to walk in the old man and in the old ways and still have this issue of sin hanging around us, even though we're new. He says, those things, I'm going to prune those off. I'm going to cut those branches. They don't need to be in your life. That's not for you. Our good father, who is the gardener, looks at your life. He looks at my life and he says, my plan for you is that you would be in season every season, that you would be holy. And when I see those things in your life, I'm going to come with my my holy pruning shears and certain things I'm just going to cut it off. I'm going to lop that branch off because you don't need it. That's that's old man. That's old life. That should be dead. And so he cuts it off, and he says, and then you're going to bear fruit as you are transformed and changed. And as you're being transformed and changed, what? I'm going to continue to work in your life so you have even more fruit. What does he want for each of us? The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He wants that in abundance for each of you. It's like, oh, you know, maybe God will show me patience. No, he will give you patience. He wants you to have it. Oh, maybe gentleness. No, he wants you to have that. He wants all of this to come out because it's a reflection of him and who he is and his goodness, his people. We reflect him. So he has this expectation just as the tree is bearing fruit, it's showing the blessing of God that, that it's perfect and bearing fruit. He wants us to bear fruit. Look at this in Mark chapter 11. You, you, you may be familiar with this. Mark chapter 11, verses 12 through 14. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he, that's Jesus, was hungry. And seeing the, in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And we go over to the next section of this. So they go and you come back in your scripture. And as they're coming back, they pass by in the morning and they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look. The fig tree that you cursed has withered. This tree, this tree is an image of Israel. 
And you say, why would he curse that tree? It's like, it even says in the scripture, it's not even time for figs. But did you read what it said about the tree? The tree looked as if it was in season. The tree was bearing leaves. The tree looked green. The tree was like, from the distance, you look out and you're like, man, like, there's not really much happening here. Oh, but that tree, that one's ready. And it's saying, I'm bearing fruit. I'm a good tree. Israel is saying, we are holy people. We are righteous. We are walking with our God. And he comes up and he's hungry and he sees there's no fruit. And he curses it. It's a, it's a living illustration to his people. You are to be Holy as I am holy. Bear fruit. Don't pretend. There's too many of us that pretend. We're like a tree with leaves, and we say, oh, I'm doing it. I'm, I'm, I'm holy, and I, and I read the Bible, and I go to church, and I do all the things, and I give, and I do. God's proud of me. God's good with me. Look, I, I'm righteous, but God sees the heart. He sees it rightly. He said, don't be like this tree. Bear fruit. We are to not pretend. We are to be made new. We are to be reconciled to our God and bear much fruit. His expectation, Jesus' expectation, is based on the will of his Father. And what is his expectation? 1 Peter 1.16, it says, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Be holy. To be holy may seem kind of weird. You're like, all right, holy, 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 holy. Like, what do you mean? Be set apart. Be set apart unto your God. There's no one else. Just my Jesus. He is mine. I'm set apart to him. I'm living for him. Where he calls me, I go. Where he leads me, I follow where he shows me in his word the things he's doing, I say, yes, do that, purify, change me. I just want you, nothing else, holy, set apart. I'm set apart for you, my life, for you, God. Be holy. Be set apart unto the Lord. Israel was pretending. Are we pretending? I pray that you're not. But search your heart today. Because we're looking at eternity. We're looking at the very end. This is where we will be, in the paradise of God. And if you, on that day, when you breathe your last breath, have been pretending, this is the only glimpse of the paradise of God you get. Brothers and sisters, I want us all there. I don't want you to miss it. So search your heart today. Have you been pretending, or have you genuinely repented of sin and set yourself apart and living unto Jesus? Be reconciled so that you, too, can eat of the fruit in the city of God every month when it's in season. Now, let me also say this. If the first thought you had was others, man, take this to heart. It's for you. It's for me. Because when we talk about be set apart and be holy, isn't it our human nature to be like, I know a few people that need to be holy. <laughs> James says, don't be the man who looks in the mirror and walks away and forgets what you look like. This is for us. This is for me. This is for you. If you're discouraged, if I'm saying, be set apart, be holy, and you're like, oh my gosh, Rob, you're throwing this yoke on me. 
this burden. I can't do that. Like, I'm doing my best, man. But life is hard, and there's so much going on. It's like, I'm just so discouraged. You're up there preaching holiness and, you know, be set apart unto the Lord. And, do, and you, you don't know what I'm walking through. You don't know the mess I'm in. You don't know the mire that I'm sucked down into. Like, I'm really, I'm trying. I'm just, you know, the expression, I'm trying to keep my head above water. I'm trying to do it. I'm trying to make it happen. And I feel so discouraged when I hear someone or a pastor say what you're saying. Don't be discouraged. Be encouraged. Be encouraged, church. Submit yourself to Christ with repentance and humility and the will of Philippians 1.6 will be fulfilled in your life. Philippians 1.6, and I'm sure of this, that he, that's Christ Jesus, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Who began the good work? Jesus did. Who completes it? Jesus does. So if you are striving and trying to do it, who's in control? Well, you are. Who should be in control? Jesus should be. So if you find that you are striving and discouraged, say, Lord, I'm taking my hands off. I'm giving it to you. I'm submitting myself to you. Lord, you come and you lead this thing. You control my life. You guide me. And when he takes control, he begins to work and he brings those things out. He transforms. He changes. When you feel downcast, he picks you up. When your head is head low, he lifts your head. He is the one who does this. It's, it's a posture of the heart. Our, our heart should be humbly submitted, and he will transform it. 2 Timothy 2.21 says this, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will, have, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. I want to see God work in my life. I want to just feel his presence. I want him to flow through me. I, you, you, we think about these things, right? We, we talk about missions or we talk about ministry. We talk about the church and everybody's like, yeah, I want that. I want to be on mission for Jesus and I want to do great things and I want to, we sing songs about it and you're just like, yes, how does that happen? Right here, cleanse yourself from what is this honorable? What? Submit yourself. Let him prune what needs to be pruned. Let him start bearing much fruit in your life and you will be a vessel for honorable use. You'll be a vessel. What's filled in the vessel? What does he fill us with? You, talk to me, church. What does he fill us with? You guys are his spirit. His spirit. <laughs> Himself, his Holy Spirit, a vessel filled with the Spirit of God, his presence, used by the Master for every good work he's called you to. I want to do good works for God. Then submit yourself to God. Let him fill you with his presence. And he'll say, I have made you a vessel for this perfect use right here, for this thing. And he will complete it. He will do it. And you will come back with testimony and praise in your mouth. And you'll say, look what the Lord has done. Heaven is perfect. And we, on that day, will be perfect. 
But God's will is that we walk in his kingdom and we walk in his kingdom expectations on this earth today. Not someday, today. Live in life, in life abundant today. Verses three through five says this. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. And all this comes out from the throne of God and the Lamb. Now, understand that we have two persons of the Trinity represented here. We have God the Father and we have the Lamb, the Son. And yes, Jesus is God, but he is not the Father. He is subordinate to the Father, and the Father is God, but he is not the Son. The Son comes and does the will of the Father. The Spirit is also God, but here we have the throne of God and two persons of God represented. It's a great mystery. The curse is gone. Jesus has defeated it. He has removed it. He has taken care of everything. And the Father and the Son are there. There's no more pain, no more suffering, no more sickness, no more death. This highlights something. And maybe you don't see it. It's nuanced. It highlights something. It highlights the difference of creation accounts. Let me tell you what I mean. The first creation account that we have in the Scripture says that God made everything and he made it perfect and he made it in six days, and he made everything after its kind, and everything was established, but sin and death came and entered in and broke it. That's creation. There's a second view that says that death is a blessing. It brings about change. It brings about growth and transformation, and and maybe God used this, or maybe this is how, because we see this in our natural world order today. This is a broken world order. Don't forget that. That second one is theistic evolution. Now, you may say, well, I believe the creation account, Rob. Like, I, I don't have a problem with that. Like, why are we highlighting this? If you say, number one, be careful not to live under number two. Here's what I mean. How often do I hear my brothers and sisters say, blessing comes after death? Just wait until that one day. One day I'm going to pass on and the blessing's there. I understand what you're saying. But too many of us don't live for the king and the kingdom today. We live for death. We're looking forward to that day when death comes and it's that doorway I get to go through and see my Jesus. Yeah, it's going to come because that's the curse that we're under. Death is a curse. It's not a blessing. Church, we live for life. Our God is the father of life. But too many of us live with the creation account of life, but we live under death. We look forward to death. Yes, we should in a sense that because we get to see God, but we live like one day abundant life, one day Jesus, one day heaven, and death is a blessing. I'm looking forward to that. Death is a curse. He saved us from this. He gives us eternal life. Death is our enemy. Verse 3, it says, no longer will it be anything accursed. Death is gone. 
It's in the lake of fire. It will not be here. The promise of Galatians 3 is realized. 3, verses 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. What's the curse of the law? Sin and death. The wages of sin is death. He redeemed us from the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Brothers and sisters, live for the Father of life. Live for life and life abundant. Go after life. Promote life. That is what heaven is about, eternal life. Don't live under the shadow of death and don't bless death. It is a curse. And we have been redeemed from it. Verses four and five says this, they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. I don't know what that's gonna be like. Do we get a tat? <laughs> like, is it, or is it gonna be like, you know, in the Left Behind series, kind of like this faint little shiny image or something like it. You can't really see. It's like if I hit the angle just right from the holiness of the Lord, I can see it, but it looks kind of blurry from another. Like, what is that going to look like? Are we all going to be self-conscious about, like, put my bangs down? Like, yeah, it's like, it's, it's just kind of weird, like having that name. No. He's, he's marked his people. We bear his name. We bear his name. It's a beautiful thing. And we see him face to face. We talked about that last week encourage you to go back and, and listen to that if you missed it. Night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. So here we are with the Lord. We will behold him and he himself will be our light. First John 1, 5 this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. We will be in his marvelous light. Verses six and seven. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. The words are trustworthy and true. God is truth. Christ is truth. His words are trustworthy. And they don't falter. He doesn't make a mistake. He didn't write something in the Old Testament and say, oh, I changed my mind in the New Testament. It's perfect and true. It seems too good to think of this, but the truth is better than anything that we can even imagine. 1 Corinthians 2.9, as it is written, no eye has seen nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. Here's the reality. We read the promises in the scripture. We read the blessings that come with the promises in the scripture, and we think, oh, one day as God does this, I'm going to have these promises fulfilled in my life. I'm looking forward to it. And we imagine 
the, what that looks like. And he says, the truth is better than what you're thinking. When you actually see the realization of these promises, the truth of these promises is going to be so much better, so much better than what you just thought. And they're trustworthy. We don't have to wonder, we don't have to say, well, maybe, or our hope is secure in something that is fixed. It's not a hope like, I hope the Cubs can win another World Series before the next hundred years. Okay, no Cubs fans out there. I got you. I am. I don't want to wait another hundred years for a World Series. Okay. The hope is, is sure. The promise is sure. So when I say I hope for a future, I'm saying I know there's a future. That's where I'm going. Jesus says, I'm coming soon. But he's saying quickly. I'm coming quickly. I come quickly. Because when he comes, it will be when no one's expecting. And it will be quickly. He says, to those who keep or watch over or guard his word, there is a blessing of joy. For those who keep the word, to keep it, to watch over it, to, to treasure it, to hold tight, keep the word. Brothers and sisters, keep all of the word. Read his word. Keep it in your heart. Treasure it. Hold fast to it. There is blessing of joy. Why? Because it brings the encouragement during trials, the hope that we need for all that will be done as he has promised. Verses 8 through 10. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things, and when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. So John sees all of this. And I'm going to tell you, we see the elders fall down and put their crowns at the throne of God over and over and over. Why? Because when we are in the midst of majesty, John's like, I'm seeing the city, I'm seeing the, the stones and the walls and how high it is and how beautiful it is, the, the golden streets and these pearly gates, and now I'm inside and there's the throne of God and there's the water of life and this beautiful tree and it's bearing fruit and he's just like, I gotta worship something. Brothers and sisters, we gotta worship. That's what he's, John falls down and he's like, and the angel's the guy showing it to him. So he just falls at the angel's feet. He's like, I am so undone in this beautiful moment. I have to worship. And the angel says, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Not me. Worship God. I am a servant of God. You, a servant of God. We worship the Lord. Have you been there? Have you been so undone by the presence of God that you just fell down to worship? Well, I pray you have. 
So John falls down to worship, and it reminds us that this is what Satan himself wanted. Satan wanted that for himself. He wanted to be like the Most High. He wanted worship. And any worship other than to God is misplaced worship. We have so much misplaced worship in this world. Fix your heart on the true living God. Worship him alone. So the angel says, don't keep this a secret, all right? You've been shown this. You've written this down. Don't seal this up. Share this word. Share this encouragement. The Lord will come quickly. And as we study it, as we share it, as we hear it, as we keep it, we have not sealed it up either. What is a great ploy of the enemy? To seal up the prophetic word of Jesus in his second coming. How many churches, how many churches stay away from the end times? Stay away from this. How many churches stay away from the things that God wants us to, to, to revel in and to marvel at and to be in awe of? In effect, Satan says, no, no, no. You know what? Let's, let's just seal that up because it's controversial. We'll just do something over here. No, no, no. John gets this and he says, I've written this all down. And the angel says, now take this and don't seal it up. Share it. It's for the churches. It's for you. It's for me. It's our encouragement. It's for our joy. Don't seal it up. Tell people about the Lord who will come quickly. Verses 14 and 15 say this. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and sexually immoral and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. So here you, oh, I, Jesus, have... Go ahead. Is that... Okay. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. So here we see in, in verses 14 through 16, he says, righteous have come and they are blessed. The unrighteous are cast out. They have been taken uh, away from the Lord's presence. They are in the lake of fire. In verse 16, Jesus sends his angel to give the testimony to the churches that he is the Messiah. He is the one who fulfills all things. He is the beginning and the end. He has done this. And we, too, at times question, like John the Baptist, we see God working, and we have questions, and we can resonate with, with John the Baptist. Matthew 11, verses 2 through 6, it says, Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered him, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. How are you blessed? You will receive this moment in his presence. You will receive eternal life. Blessed are us who receive him. Verse 17, 
don't you just hate clocks? Like they just, they go too fast. Like just push it back. The spirit of the bride, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. This is a beautiful invitation. The beautiful invitation of God. The invitation of the Holy Spirit. The invitation of the church. This is our invitation. People talk about seeker-sensitive churches. Oh, is your church seekers? You know, they make it for those people to hear. And every, it's like everything's a gospel message. And it's always invitation, invitation, invitation. Listen, this is our invitation. The church should be inviting We should be inviting people into the presence of God. We should be saying, come, come, come and take without cost. Drink of the water of life. Come receive this Jesus. Look what he has done. All who trust in him will never be put to shame. They have a great inheritance. The Holy Spirit is the one who opens eyes to see and opens hearts to receive, gives us ears to hear. The gospel is preached by his people, the church, and goes out. The Spirit empowers it. They both invite and say, come receive this Jesus. And brother and sister, just because you have already received this Jesus, what does he say to you? He says, come all who are thirsty and drink. The invitation's still there. I don't know what your life looks like right now, but there's an invitation for you today, right now, to come and drink. Come to Christ and be satisfied. Come for all that you need. The beautiful invitation, the one with faith says, come, be reconciled, be made new, drink from the fountain that is Christ and be satisfied. Verses 18 and 19. I warn everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. That is a stern warning. Beautiful invitation and a really stern warning. This warning is don't add and don't take away. To add is to walk in legalism, is to put a burden on people, is to add to his word, to to put a yoke on others. The Pharisees were guilty of this with Israel. They added to, and they added to, and they added to. And Jesus even came and said to them, he says, you have burdened the people so much they can't even bear it, and under the weight you gave them, you don't even help them lift the burden. That happens still today. People add to the word of God and put a yoke on each other to do or to be or to behave in ways that God hasn't even said. He said, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So don't add or he will add to you. And I guess if you have a different view of end times, if you're like an all-millennial and it's all like, you know, figurative in some ways, it's like, eh, it's metaphorical or whatever. It's like, well, the plagues aren't that big of a deal. (laughs) If you're like me, I don't want a single one of those. (laughs) If he's literally doing this, like I believe he does, 
I do not want to partake in that. I don't want to be outside of his will. I do not want to be away from Jesus. Those who walk in legalism add it's a dangerous place because you can be walking in righteousness, but it's a false righteousness. It's a false salvation that comes by the works of your own hands, not by Christ. To take away is the other extreme is liberalism. I would say that's really the culture we live in predominantly today. What's your spiritual buffet look like? Well, I put a little bit of this on there, and I put a little bit of that on there, and I, I like this, and I put that on my plate, and you know what? I'll go back for seconds, whatever tasted good after I try this all out. I'll go back and get something else and maybe put something else in there. It's this liberalism. It's the removing of God's guidance. It's the removing of his word. It's living for self. It's spurning his testimony that he's given to us. So many who have their own Jesus. Yeah, I follow Jesus. You, you can't just say that anymore. Like if you said that in the 1950s, I follow Jesus, pretty everybody knew what, what you meant. Like, oh, you follow Jesus. You follow the Jesus of this Bible, the Jesus that's in here, the Jesus of Nazareth, the Jesus who has a high mora mor morality, the Jesus, you know, Ten Commandments, Jesus. You know, like, like there was a thought in the culture that was like, if you said, I follow Jesus. Today, if you say, I follow Jesus, we have to follow it up with the next question. Well, what do you mean? <laughs> what Jesus are you talking about? What Jesus do you follow? Like, liberalism takes away. It, it, it makes different. It, it, it eases the, the conscience of man by man saying what is good and bad. Either way, legalism or liberalism, it invites judgment, harsh, hard judgment. Verses 20 and 21. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Who's testifying? Jesus is testifying these things. I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. So John is testifying that he's seen it. Jesus has testified to us about all of these things. He has given us his prophetic word. John hears it and he says, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. John says, let it be so. He's caught up into the heavens. He sees this beautiful picture. I can't imagine what John felt the moment he's dropped back down on Patmos. It's like, all right, you got it. Here you go, buddy. He's like, really? <laughs> I'm back here, <laughs> you know. But come, Lord Jesus, please come. <laughs> you know. Amen. That should be the cry of our heart. Come, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Let it be so. Stand with me and let's pray. God, you're so good. We have walked through this book and we see that you make all things new. You are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. You are the Lamb of God who has slain and yet lives. 
You are the one who gives us new life and bids us come and to drink from the water of life. You have prepared a place for your people. In your Father's house are many rooms, and you have gone to prepare a place for us. The Spirit says, come, and we agree with the Spirit, Lord. We say, come. And Father, this day, we also ask that your Spirit would go among us. Make us holy. Make us have that hope that is found only in Christ, that it would just well up in us. Our joy made full. And search out the wayward one. Bid him or her to come back. Father, I pray for the one who may be wayward, that that knows you but has been walking in the world, living under death. God, I pray that you would just gently lift their head, start doing that beautiful work of pruning things out of their life. And I pray that they would submit themselves back to you, that they would be made a vessel for your good use, filled with your presence. And for the one who does not know you, but hears these words, maybe he's been here with us or online, God, and just hearing the word, may the blessing be this, that their heart is open, their eyes are open, that they would receive Christ today, that they would repent of sin and come, that the plagues mentioned here, that death that is mentioned here, the judgment to come would no longer touch them, that they would be saved, and that they would come into your kingdom. Father, we say, Blessed be your name. Jesus, we say, come. And I ask that you would bless the church, your bride, just as John has said at the end. May the grace of God rest on your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. The Bridge Bible Church stands to exalt the name of Jesus. We seek to be a community that gives glory to Christ above all things and welcomes all people to join us in worshiping Him. If you don't have a church home, consider visiting ours. We are ordinary people who want to live life with authentic faith. For more information on how to get connected, deepen your faith, and experience what God has for you, please visit our website at thebridgewire.com.